Well, good morning. As you know, we're in a series, as Ray mentioned, we're in a series in the book of Acts. And uh, normally I would say turn to Acts 2, but we're going to totally ignore any of that today. Uh, and we're going to do something different. In the first service, this was a complete surprise. Obviously, Ray's been through it a couple of times now. But, um, but we, we kept from him um, the fact that I wasn't going to be speaking this morning. In fact, we did a whole fake sermon with fake slides because he's kind of particular about that sort of stuff. So, uh, so we uh, did all that to protect this moment. And uh, for, for my time here, there's been one name that's been mentioned more than any other. And you maybe if you've been around, you've heard Ray say something like, my buddy Armin. Uh, Ray used to be a youth pastor, and he worked at a church called Grace Church in North Jersey. And his senior pastor was a guy named Armin Summer. And Armin has influenced Ray for 30-plus years. And his fingerprints are all over Ray's ministry and Ray's life. And as a direct result, they're all over the life of this church as well. So we thought on a day where we're going to celebrate Ray's 20th anniversary here at Parkview, it'd be great to invite Armin to come and open up God's Word and tell you a little bit about uh, Ray and their time together. So will you welcome uh, Armin Summer? So fake sermon, fake PowerPoint, fake guest speaker. Right. <laughs> I am I'm really delighted to be here. I'm privileged to call Ray one of my closest friends. Uh, really, if I, had to, if I had to name three people with whom I was closest with and I am closest with in the world, he would be one of them. My wife makes it on the list too, right? Nancy. In fact, I want to introduce my wife, Nancy, uh, almost 39 years, would you stand? All right. All right. Wow. 39 years. We got married when she was six, all right? So, anyway. Uh, Margie, why don't you stand for a moment? Yeah, I know. I'm going to embarrass you. All right. So, Margie, you know what it's like to be a pastor's wife. And you know all of the, uh, well, there are innumerable times when you have donated your husband to the cause at times when you'd love to have him at home. There are times where you have sat with him and listened to him when he's been stressed over various challenges that he could not talk to anybody else about. In fact, even some things that he couldn't tell you about. And you've supported him. You have stayed so faithful and supportive all of these 20 years, and even well before that, when he was a youth pastor, uh, so when we, and he and I served together, and uh, we all, the four of us, served together. So uh, even though I'm going to say many things about Ray, understand that, that you really undergird all of these things. He wouldn't have any success without you. He'd be wasted without you. Let's just face it. Let's just admit it, all right? Okay? So, Margie Kolbacher. <laughs> the New Testament has preserved two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he pastored in the ancient city of Corinth. In fact, really, he founded it. It wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a perfect church. It was a very real church. I mean, there were many gifted people in it, but there were also a lot of needy people in it. I would, imagine, I would imagine that it was probably 
in many respects, not all that different from Parkview. Real church, real expression of the bride of Christ. And Paul loved that church like it was his family. It's like, it's like he'd raised them. So much so that he wrote this to them in 2 Corinthians 3. You know, when you think of the Corinthian letters, sometimes you hear of all, you try to, you may recall all kinds of rebukes and where he's admonishing them for this and even critiquing them for their various extravagant expressions of spirituality. But he says this to them in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. He says, with genuine love, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. They were engraved on Paul's heart, just like you are engraved on Ray's heart. And when I look at you, I see a church, just like I said before, that in some respects probably is not a whole lot different, other than the century in which it was, a whole lot different from the one that Paul addressed in this letter. Ordinary people facing very ordinary and even extraordinary challenges. Paul loved the church, and Ray loves you. You really are engraved on the tablets of his heart. So much so that he has stayed far longer than most pastors. And by the way, he's not leaving, all right? This is not like a farewell. Henry Cloud, uh, one of my favorite authors, wrote in his book Integrity and compared the impact of a person's life to the wake of a ship at sea. By observing the wake, you learn a lot about the man who is steering the ship. If it's full of zigzags, it tells you one thing. But if the wake is straight, it speaks of a steady hand. So the wake reveals both his accomplishments and his relationships. And when you evaluate a leader, you need to resist the urge merely to note the direction or even the vision that he communicates. You need to look to the wake. I almost entitled this message, the wake, but it just sounded, I don't know. It just sounded a little bit too funereal, so that's why I stuck with the letter. So what do we see in the wake of Ray Kolbacher? Well, as someone who has known him, as Dave mentioned, for three decades, the wake that I see may well extend farther behind than what many of you see. And in his wake, I, I see the impact on me, on my family. My church in New Jersey, where where Ray's career began so many years ago, and here at Parkview. Ray and I have talked many times over these years. He talks about his love for you. And I've seen his influence spread, not just here in Illinois, not just around the continental United States, but also beyond to places in the Middle East and Africa, even as far flung as places as India. So here here are the, 
the observations that I make about the wake of Ray Kohlbacher. The first element that I see is diligence. There is about Ray a diligence that invites God's blessing. You don't earn God's blessing, but it invites God's blessing. I recall the day, it was over 20 years ago, it was in the fall of 1994, when I got a call from Marshall Macaluso, who represented the pastoral search team for this church here. And he asked me, he said, hey, uh, you know, I, I'd known Marshall for a number of years. He said, would you be interested or do you know someone who might be interested and whom you might recommend to be our next pastor? The pastor had, had uh, left and retired. And I said, well, I just might. Later that day, as it happened, Ray, had asked, uh, Ray would ask me to pick him up at the local Toyota dealer where he'd dropped off his new, at least new for him, a pre-owned red Toyota Corolla, and uh, he had dropped it off for service. Ray was our youth pastor, and uh, he was the pastor for both my daughters, whose perseverance in walking with the Lord today is a product of Ray's influence so many years ago. And they're both in their mid-30s now. Well, our church leadership sensed and knew that really that we were confident that God had great plans for Ray. And you know, when you have somebody who's really good on your staff, there's a reluctance to let him go. I didn't want to lose him. We in church leadership didn't want to lose him. But we had to come to grips with the realization that you never lose someone to the perfect will of a sovereign God. Remember that. And we knew that because Ray was gifted, is gifted, and that he is a leader, we, we tried to do things. We thought, okay, he's been a youth pastor for many years now. It really is time to, to expand his ministry into other things. And we had talked together about that. So on the way back from the Toyota dealership, I had picked him up there where he dropped his car off. I said, Ray, do you want to do this? Do you want to make this transition into a different ministry at Grace? And he said, you know, I love the ministry. I love Grace. But I, I'm ready to take a church. And I assured him, I said, Ray, I will do everything I can to help you to realize that dream. And so later that day, Marshall Macaluso and Ray conversed with one another by phone regarding the search. And over the next few weeks, it became obvious that this church and Ray were made for each other. And so that spring, I was privileged to, to speak. In 1995, I can't believe it, like, I'm getting old, right? I was privileged to speak at Ray's installation service. I know, it makes him sound like he's a Kenmore washing machine, but, you know. <laughs> That's what, back in the day, we called them installations, all right? And on your first Sunday, Ray, if I'm, if I'm correct, there were like 70 people in attendance here at this church, meeting in the other chapel. It's a building that's now gutted, right? Things have grown quite a bit since then. But, you know, Ray never takes credit for that. He's very quick to embrace what the Apostle Paul writes at another place, in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, he says in chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, 
and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Ray is all about people. He's all about people. So that's why you'll see Ray hanging out at times, perhaps, with people who matter very much to God in places where you might feel uncomfortable. And his motivation is because just like the Apostle Paul, he desires to be all things to all men so that by all all means he might win some. And he does. And there are families here at Parkview that are whole that would otherwise be fragmented. There are people far away from here who have heard the gospel and have been released from human trafficking who would still be in bondage were it not for his singular vision and influence. Ray would never say these things about himself, but somebody needs to. Ray Kohlbacher displays a diligence that invites God's blessing. And so that's one of the observations that I make about his wake. What's in your wake? Well, what else do I observe? I see develop. Ray develops people. He makes good people into great people. Ray is what uh, leadership gurus refer to as a level five leader. That may be a term that's new to you. Uh, it, it's defined in a number of different ways. The definition uh, that I'm familiar with and have become comfortable with is when you think of a, a level one leader, level one refers to someone who is a competent performer. Uh, and certainly Ray is that. He, he effectively communicates the word of God. He preaches well. He leads well. He, he knows how to work with people. He's, he's competent. Level two is a team player. And over the years in working uh, with me and my team and, and influencing me in so many ways, I saw his effectiveness blossom as a team player. And then level three refers to a competent manager. And of course, he is. Ray knows how to put together a team and to motivate them. And he does so not only by competently managing, but he also, it incorporates that level four leadership, which is visionary leadership. Ray knows how to to conceive of to work collaboratively, and then to cast vision. And Ray has risen through all of those levels, one, two, three, and four, all the way, and years ago, into level five, which is the top level of leadership. That means that he's the architect of a movement. And when you are an architect of a movement, you don't just lead. It means that you produce other leaders, and not just other leaders, but other leaders who make other leaders. And that level, level five, requires a unique and rather paradoxical combination of great humility and persevering strong will. The desire to make others great And he creates, empowers, and then releases them to become great leaders themselves. And he doesn't shy away from allowing them to stand in the spotlight and in the limelight. He doesn't hog it all for himself. 
I've seen Ray do that multiple times, where he has produced other great leaders, just to name a few. There are people like Steve Tomlinson, who we affectionately refer to as the Bishop of Long Island because he's planting multi-site churches uh, all over the place there on Long Island. And then there's another fellow who I won't name, but who ministers in the Middle East. And he is taking that vision of leadership and blossoming there and seeing people come to know Christ. But from this church. And then there's Dave Swanson, flourishing on the south side of Chicago in a place that maybe many people like me or like many of you would not go. People are coming to Christ. And that kind of humble leadership that has been modeled by Ray breeds loyalty and longevity on a staff. You don't see a lot of revolving doors here at Parkview. I spoke recently with your executive pastor, Dave Davis, and he said to me, Ray is the greatest senior pastor I've ever known. He said that to me about a month ago. And I must tell you that my supreme satisfaction in ministry has been to watch the success of Ray Kolbacher. And I am not shy to say this at all, that the student has surpassed the teacher. He really has, and I am so proud of him. Ray has the unique ability to turn good people into great people. What's in your wake? Well, what else do I observe? Well, uh, people just love being with him. I mean, he's a fun guy. (laughs) You know what I mean, right? Social media is a great thing, by the way. You can find pictures of the most embarrassing situations. My experiences over the years with Ray are a picture of warmth and winsome camaraderie. He's tremendously fun to be around. And this message would be incomplete, uh, missing a, uh, a few true but embarrassing anecdotes. So uh, let's talk about adventures in fishing, uh, first of all. Ray has caught some pretty impressive specimens through the years. But the one that I like the most is a fish named Ken. If you've ever been inside Ray's office, you've surely noticed on the wall a largemouth bass that he affectionately calls Ken, and which has a cigarette hanging from its lower lip. In fact, it's the twin of this one. It's fake, relax, all right? Those of you who all of a sudden are getting the urge, just pop a little Nicorette or something like that, you'll be fine, all right? And uh, it has a cigarette hanging from his lower lip. You see, there's a story behind it, of course. There was a guy in our church named Grant who owned a sizable piece of property near us, well, where we lived in New Jersey. It was in Sussex County, and had its own body of water on it, a lake called Stag Lake, and he didn't allow anybody to fish on it except his close friends. And it was, ho- it was, as a result, home to a burgeoning population of largemouth bass. And so our host, Grant, had invited us to come up and to fish at the lake. And so Ray and I drove up there, and uh, Grant hauled out this canoe that consisted of two seats. And the three of us were going to get in this canoe. And Ray and I looked at each other, and kind of strange, you know, front seat, back seat, hello. Uh, what do we do? And so... Uh, Grant got a lawn chair, a lawn chair, and stuck it into the middle of the canoe. 
and motioned for us to enter. Of course, he entered and got in the front seat. I very graciously allowed Ray to sit in the more comfortable seat, the lawn chair, <laughs> and I occupied the rear. And uh, we paddled out to the middle of the lake, and uh, it, it was amazing. Every time, every, I don't know what you do. It's like, what do you bathe in salmon eggs or something? But Ray got in, uh, every time he dropped his line into the water, he got a bite. And then there was this strike. It was obviously a big fish. Ken had found the lure. Ray set the hook, and there he was, seated high above our center of gravity in the canoe, and leaning this way, and Grant and I realized very quickly that we needed to lean back this way in order to keep the, the canoe from capsizing. Well, Ray fought to haul in Moby Ken over a period of if you listen to his story, I think he said it took two and a half, three hours to pull it in. A couple of minutes, all right? <laughs> he, he brought it in and decided it was a keeper and that he would have it mounted. So uh, Ray contacted a taxidermist and who got the fish. I can't remember all the process. It would, but I guess fish take a while to mount. And it was months and months. And Ray would call, and the guy would always call him, him, Ray, Ken. <laughs> so Ray, being Ray, decided that he would name the fish Ken. Well, uh, why, do, why is there a cigarette hanging from the lower lip of that largemouth bass. Well, that's an odd part of the story. There was a, a quirky couple in our congregation uh, who hailed from the Netherlands, and their names were Fred and Madeline. Uh, they're still alive, I believe, so their names are still Fred and Madeline. And one Sunday evening, they approached Ray and me, uh, each with one of these, and handed us one of these fake cigarettes and said, we'd like to give each one of you one of these. Okay. Ray said, gee, thanks. And then they walked away. <laughs> they never explained why they gave us two, right? Am I right? They never explained why they gave us these two fake cigarettes. But Ray, he's very theologically minded, so he started parsing scripture and, and, and cross-referencing in his mind his vast store of biblical knowledge and realized that if really all things work together for good and if God provides you richly all things to enjoy, God must have provided the cigarette for Ken. Okay. And that's how the cigarette got onto the lower lip of a large-mouthed bass named Ken in the office of your senior pastor. I mean, Ray's a fun guy. Oh, oh, but then, then there are adventures in baptism. And there were a number of lessons that Ray learned uh, through baptism. It was uh, through baptism that Ray learned to flee youthful lust. All right? he, oh, you're very concerned, I can tell. Uh, he was administering the ordinance of baptism one morning, and a shapely young lady named Cheryl descended the steps wearing her white baptismal robe. Back in the day, uh, we had people wear baptismal robes, not T-shirts and things like that. And uh, hers was white. And she came down into the tank. And it became very apparent very quickly that as the robe became transparent, 
that she was wearing a stylish and decidedly brief bikini. And Ray, being a man, got flustered, turned red, and in a husky voice said, well, Cheryl. <laughs> it's good to be in the tub with you this morning. <laughs> Do you remember that one, Ray? How can we forget? <laughs> so it was through baptism that he learned to flee youthful lust. Right? But it was also through baptism that he learned patience. Ray was once again in the tank to baptize several people prior to the message. This was on a Sunday evening. And the final baptismal candidate asked if she could share her testimony. Her name was Danae. And Ray said, of course. Well, Danae came down into the tank, and she produced her binder and placed it on the edge of the tank and began her message. And Ray stood by, the picture of dignity, nodding, occasionally grunting a muted amen, and for about 25 minutes stood there. <laughs> At the end of that time, Ray said something very affirming, dunked her very appropriately. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, <gasps> had the congregation rise offered the benediction, and dismissed the people. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend Denae, right? <laughs> and we still talk about that one. Well, I didn't talk about these at the earlier services, but um, there's one other story. I mean, Ray, Ray, Ray enjoyed leading music. And so, so there was one night that he was, and we, would, and we would do things to dig at each other and try to, and, you know, that was a sign of our camaraderie, really. And we would intentionally try to embarrass each other. And so this one night, Ray had volunteered to lead a hymn sing. You know what a, a hymn sing is? All right, there are these songs that were written long, long time ago. They're called hymns, all right? And so, and there are these books in which they are compiled called hymnals. Anyway, so... Uh, I, was, I was feeling playful that night, so I called out a number, and I said, let's sing Beulah Land. How many here know Beulah Land? Oh, wow, like six of you. All right, all right. So Ray, Ray uh, very, very effectively led that hymn, uh, sight-read it, of course, and then decided that he would have his, uh, he would get his comeback at me. So he said, and now Pastor Summer is going to explain to us why it's called Beulah Land. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, so many stories. So little time. So let's just admit it. Raise a stud. <laughs> <laughs> He just is, all right? So, how long ago was that taken? <laughs> a while ago? Well, anyway. Yeah, that's his uh, jersey from when he was coaching basketball, by the way, in Roxbury Township, New Jersey. Ray is the kind of man who invites God's blessing. He makes others great. He's fun to be with. But especially important to me, Ray has remained my close friend over this journey of ministry together. We talk often, 
There were times at the beginning where he more often than not would ask me for advice. And now I find myself calling him for advice and his counsel. And like a great ship, there trails behind Ray Kolbacher a grand and glorious wake. He's diligent. He's a leader. He's lovable. And you, the congregation of Parkview Community Church, are a testimony to all of those attributes. And I'm going to take a big risk, and I'm going to ask you to do something. In a moment, I'm going to ask some of you to stand. And I'm going to phrase it a couple of different ways. Uh, it, it, it may be that you have trusted Christ or received Jesus as Lord, or uh, you have discovered what it means to know that you need a Savior. And under during the ministry of Ray Kolbacher here, during these last 20 years, you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or to put it another way, you've discovered that this deal called Christianity is not about measuring up to a performance plan. It's not about guilt. It's about grace and receiving a gift. To put it another way, you've discovered that it's about a real relationship with the living God. It's not about religion. So if that describes you and that has happened to you in these last 20 years during his ministry, would you stand up where you are? and bear testimony to that fact. Yeah. (laughs) There are, yeah, you can sit. There, There are many over these services today that have stood. Allow me to paraphrase Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 3. This is the Ray K version. You yourselves are Ray's letter written on his heart, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of his and Margie's ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. I'm proud of Ray Kolbacher, and you are his letter. And you are rightly proud to call him your pastor. Father, we thank you for these 20 years. We look forward to many more under the leadership of this man who loves you and loves his people. We pray your blessing. Pray that you would sustain him, his family. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this congregation with rich relationships, with a depth of a walk with you, Lord that is a model for churches and populations all around this state, this country, and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.